The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. Well, today we have a very interesting guest, uh, Cassie McKenzie. And we were just talking before the show. The reason why I'm laughing is uh, we have some interests in common. And so, Cassie, you are incredibly accomplished. You say you started out with braces and a bad haircut, selling mm-hmm. over $20 million to mm-hmm. people who were twice your age. Yeah. Now, you focus on storytelling and relationship-based selling. We'll get into that. And we can get into the details of your biography. Well, I want to know psychologically, when you first stepped into selling people who were twice your age, were you in any way, first of all, you were 20, you say? 21, right out of college. So they were were in their early, maybe mid 40s. So were you intimidated at all when you started that process? Totally. I mean, I graduated from college on a Friday and then started training on Monday. (laughs) And so, and I worked for Johnson and Johnson. I was really lucky enough to get hired into a program for college overhires, but we literally came into jobs that people, it was like a specialty oncology sales job that all of like most of my coworkers who weren't in the college overhire program were, they were in their forties and they had worked most of their career just to earn a job like that. So, and then the, the people I called on were all oncologists and hematologists, radiation oncologists, hospitals, Doctors. and um, big pharmacies and all. And so they were, had been in college, like sometimes some of them for 18 years, you know, when you consider the fellowship. And so I'd been like walking around on earth, like just about as long as they'd been in school. And, um, you know, just, it was very intimidating at first because, you know, I can't sell off authority if I look like I'm 14. I mean, I have a I have a picture. This was you me. You look at, extremely yeah. young. This was me right there in the pink cowboy hat. Oh and my I'm, goodness! Hold it, shift it just a little bit up so we can see. Yeah, right there. How old were you there? I was 21. This was when I was at. You don't age. You should do something on your <laughs> on your anti aging routine because you don't age. You look great. Oh, thank God. Well, I've got two kids too. So Lord knows they've tried to age me as well. That's um, job. Yeah. Jeez. So, but yeah, you know, it was, it was intimidating at first and I, 
am very hmm, like a hard worker though, you know, like pretty stubborn and I can figure it and pretty scrappy can figure out things and how to do things. But like, I definitely as an overachiever felt like, okay, this is a job that I literally, if I lose this job, it'll be so hard to match the situation I'm in, like the amount of freedom you get when you work remotely in 2000 and make more money than anybody else coming out of my graduating class and having like the potential be sky high and have a company car. And, you know, just basically talking to people all day long was a dream. And so I valued that job so much that it became super important early on to get really, really good at it. So you placed so much value on it that the fear just went away because it would shrink into the background compared to your your desire to 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 get it and your enjoyment of it as you were going through it. True, yeah. Like I think it started out as one of those like I can't let myself down. I can't let my family down. I've got, you know, I I'm scared out of my mind to like lose this show. like that you know people move towards fear or towards pleasure or away from yes. pain and so I was like yeah I'm not going that way and so I put my vision out there and I had a manager who was he was former military and I came into a group that was one of the top performers in the whole nation so even though my territory was in like the middle of nowhere Alabama I was surrounded by some of the best reps and I was able to model what they did and see you know like it's it's a, there's a lot of benefit in being around people who are great at opening and some people who are great at closing some yes. who are great at like the relationship and you know really create my own sales style around that yeah. Other than that, you didn't do much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, nothing much. Just drive across so, Alabama. Um, you're now a sales coach for online service entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. you talk about how to create your own selling style. Yeah. And quality leads on LinkedIn and IG and boosting your confidence in the sales process so you can bust free from your nine to five goal. <laughs> yeah. In your online business. Wow. Yeah. Let's talk about, so you don't teach what the techniques, and, and we call this the influencer's edge for a reason. We don't want people who are doing the traditional stuff. So right. you teach, would you, how would you describe, what's a good title for your sales process? Do you have a title for it or a name for it? Yeah. So I call it like, well, SAIL, like the acronym is like serving all leads every day. And like when you're, cause I see when you're serving somebody, you are more of a resource, you're bringing resources to them. You're, you know, helping. It's like a, it's a win-win for everybody as opposed to like showing up today, just this morning, I had someone book a sales call with me and then show up 10 minutes late, which I didn't stick around for 10 minutes. I got an email that said, somebody's on your call. So I was like, I'm just curious. I've got a couple of minutes. I'll go see. And they start out, they, they started right off with pitching me on their lead generator. And I looked at them and I was like, this is not okay. I mean, especially as somebody who's really, really passionate about helping people feel more comfortable in the sales process. Like I know what it's like to be scared as hell when you're like in a sales call and when it gets to the point that you need to pitch them or even talking about yourself as the best thing out there is intimidating to a lot of people. And I'm a narcissist, so it doesn't bother me. Right. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. And they're the ones that are cold pitching you. Okay. So, (laughs) but like, 
I see it as it's, you know, sales is not a one size fit all. And there's four different you know, types of just major buyers. You know, like if you think about different buyer personality Let's types. Talk about and, that. Unpack that for us. Right. So, you know, you've got the different types of profiles, like buyer personality profiles that you have to keep in mind. Like people, I think a lot of times online, there's this message of, well, people don't buy from you right away, then just move on because they're not the ones. Or if people ask too many questions, then, you know, just move on because you want the people who are just, they get you, they get it. They're the geniuses. And while like, okay, I know personally aside from the fact that people have a life and more going on than just what you're trying to pitch them, like there's also people who might be drivers where they just need the facts and they make a decision and they'll also tell you what they think. But as a buyer it's a, and a client, like they might be a little less, uh, what are like bedside manner in their feedback, but their feedback is golden and tells you exactly how to like shift to create this environment where you have such loyal customers because they feel seen and heard so that if you if i can a minute cassie that begs the question how do you take feedback that's harsh without taking it personally that's a skill set in and of itself it's like emotional intelligence it is it is well i mean i think it's important to really like you know nlp right you want to distinguish where is this actually coming from is this true or is this something that's fixable? Is this, is this really great feedback that says like, what's the buyer's experience? You know, like ultimately you want to create that environment where it's like, you're helping solving the issues and concerns, but like, especially if you have a program that you're, that's fairly new and you are looking to make it like an evergreen program online that people can join nonstop, you want to make sure that it's like, a well-oiled machine because the more you're able to, um, the more you're able to tend to somebody's needs on the front end, the easier it's going to be on the back end. You know, like it takes five times the amount of energy to sign on a brand new client than it does to sell to an existing client or to get them yes. to keep buying from you. Yeah, yeah let's talk so, about that. Is, yeah, like you go I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll put a pin in it. No, I was just going to say like buyer loyalty is something that is so underrated online and not talked about enough. And it's something that can really increase your bottom line. And also that attrition rate just like goes out the window. I mean, in, in a typical product scenario, I think we refer to this as market share, but like I took over in my territory back in 2000, like a year or 2001, a year after that picture was taken that I just showed you where I look like, I don't know, I look like I'm in high school. And Amgen was coming out with a product that competed. And if you don't know Amgen, they're a huge biotech company now. Back then, I mean, they were very aggressive. And it was a big, you know, big thing that they were coming out with a product that was going to compete directly with ours. And my the rep I sold against had been in the territory. He was a good old boy. He'd been calling on them for 15 years. Like his kids went to high school. Like he had all, with, um, you know, a lot of my accounts, kids and stuff like that in Birmingham. And so he had that relationship there, but like I was able to maintain 98% market share over, you know, the two years that I was still in that territory before moving to Atlanta. And I think that speaks a lot of volumes because I was able to anticipate my clients' needs based off the conversations we were having and not take things personally and be there just to serve, you know, like, you take your ego out of it and you go back to like why you started it to begin with. 
easier said than done. <laughs> it is exactly. Yeah, it is, but it pays off when you're able to do that. You know, you, it's a, obviously there's some, there's a process to learning, like what, how to, how to distinguish, okay, what is somebody complaining versus somebody who's actually just giving feedback on how something could be improved, you know? That makes total, that makes total sense. So tell us uh, again, you teach a lot about telling stories and building relationships. So mm -hmm. let's talk again, because I always want to know, I want to know what you teach. And as someone who's trained in one of the disciplines we were talking about, yeah. about this off the air, neurolinguistic programming, I want to know, again, what was your thought process in developing storytelling as your methodology? Did you have any mentors in it? In other words, did you have it all thought out and then you applied it or did you develop it through trial and error? What was your process? I developed, it was a little bit of both. So I was given a little direction on, like, if we think way back when I had first started selling, I was given some direction around, you know, like, I remember my, my manager saying to me, like, you're going to go into these accounts, you're going to schedule lunches, and you're going to bring them muffins, and you're not going to talk about the product once, you're just going to ask questions, ask them questions about what's going on, ask them questions about how their treatments going like don't mention our product at all and I was like that's weird as hell Darian like why would I not I'm a rep I'm supposed to sell my product right but like what he was instilling in me was you know you want to get that relationship going first and put in the groundwork on the front end because then you're able to really not only understand your clients better but be able to ask them for the sale and ask them to make moves and ask them to take action more easily and readily and have it be accepted more because you have that rapport built. And, you know, so that was part of what I built. And I remember all of my managers who really never did that great would always be like, you can't sell off just relationships, Cassie. And I'm like, mm, watch me. It's worked okay so far. Oh, look you at know, you. I, look at you. Yeah. When someone challenges you, you go ahead and you do it. I love it. Oh, I'm like, okay, whatever. But, you know, but I was also the type of rep that, you know, there were just some managers, you have to learn how to play the game, right? Because sometimes nodding and smiling is easier than going toe to toe with your manager who's, you know, only with you once a month, right? Or once every couple months. And so there were times where I'd go to my accounts in advance and be like, listen, I've got my manager with me tomorrow. Can you just, I'll bring you coffee two days from now. Just, I'm not going to be myself, but you understand, right? I've just got to check the box. <laughs> well, that's really getting them on your side. You're de <laughs> That's really smart. You're a clever one, man. Like, just give me your Starbucks order right now. And I will be here on Wednesday with it. Just thank you so much. I just, you know, and so, and then when we'd show up the next day, they'd be like, Cassie's the best rep ever. She always does everything that we ask, you know, like she gets us what we need as soon as, you know, they were like blow me up and compliment me and, and we'd walk out and my boss would be like, you know, and all of them, like this happened every time, but like my boss would be like, Hey, 
you've got a really great relationship going on there. Keep it up. Whatever you're doing, just keep it up. Like, that's awesome. You know, you can just do this, this, and this next time. And usually by then it'd be like little tweaks in sales strategy, which to me were like, okay, I can take that and run with it. Like I've already gone through like worst case scenario. I sound like a robot with your fifth Avenue, like, but visual aids, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I can- you, Correct me if I'm wrong. You- now transition this to training yeah. other people in what format? Online, I believe, online mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. It, yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so when you made that transition from doing your own selling face-to-face and training online entrepreneurs, was that transition difficult? Or did you know, I know how to do this. I see the path. I, I know mm-hmm. exactly what the steps are. All I need to do is consistently execute. Yeah. So, you know, and I do want to go back and answer your question about the, like the relationship technique, but I want to answer this one first. It actually, cause it leads into the next, it was actually like pretty hard for me because I, and talk about the stories that we tell tell ourselves. Right. So here I was like in all the only frame of reference that I have you know, like my map of the world is pharmaceutical sales and, you know, being given a canned message that then you make your own, you know, taking your own sales strategy out and calling to like a book of people that have been given to you. And so when I looked on the online space and on social media, I told myself, well, you don't know anything about selling online. Like you don't know anything about building a business out. I went to Virginia Tech and graduated magna cum laude in marketing. So I definitely like did not give myself the credit of, hey, you've pretty much run like a multi-million dollar business every year of your life since college. So yeah, you know how to do this. So instead I listened to the experts online and I, you know, did a lot of trainings and did a lot of courses. And what I learned over you know, a set point of time was that there's a lot of people who start businesses out there who just happen to become successful in whatever thing that they're selling. And then they call themselves a business coach. And then those are the people that you end up learning from. And those are the people I was learning from. And so I heavily discounted what my zone of genius was. As and we do. you're smart. And so you're smart. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> Is that you're smart? Really- you're really smart. And this is why we call it the influencer's edge too. We want to get people to say, wait a minute, that's not true. F that. I'm gonna yeah. that's not true at all. You did that's amazing. I really <laughs> like you. You're super smart. I'm it laughing. I didn't feel very smart for the longest time though. After I realized that I'm like, why did I not look at myself as the expert that I am? So you know, but like when it, when you come down to it though, a lot of the techniques that are being taught are very transactional with not a lot of, um, not a lot of forethought put into it. And yeah, they work because there's a certain subset of people who are either a desperate enough to answer you because their problem's so bad. And you've been talking about their pain for so long, or they're just like, you caught them at the right point, you know, or they're early adopters and they're willing to just yes. try anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there, of course it works. It, anything can work, but does it feel aligned? And beautiful. As far as like creating that relationship-based sales approach that I teach my clients now, like this came from two things. Part of it's, you know, 
that connection, like really desiring to build a genuine relationship in a connection online because it's longer lasting, right? And so I don't believe in selling off just pain points because, you know, you've got to get somebody to imagine a picture, right? Like go to NLP, involve the senses. What are you feeling? What are you hearing? What are you what are you seeing yourself like years from now? And when you believe, when you get people to start thinking about the pleasure that they'll experience as opposed to the pain, then you start yeah. to attract people in who are going to pay you more because they envision the transformation, right? They're going to stick with you longer because they're not looking for that transactional fix where it gets yes. them just enough out yes. of pain to not be comfortable, to be comfortable again. And then as soon as they, screw up and go back and feel pain again or stop doing what you taught them and they go back and they feel pain again then they're going to look at you and be like well that person's thing didn't work because i'm back at where i was before so i'm going to go to that person instead so they're not loyal either right versus if you're focused on connection and relationship and selling off the pleasure and the vision then you bring in people who are emotionally connected with you and aligned for the right reasons and not just that, but like, they're the type of people who are dreamers and have a vision and they'll do anything to get there. So that means they'll implement things yes. that you're teaching them and yeah. they'll be willing to try things, even if they're scared. And those are the best types of clients to work with. Oh, what a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. It what, just channels through. What, you know, what great ideas. And my thought here is you, you talked about coaches and you notice that what they were saying is eh, i'm not so sure it also brings up a question people say those who can't do teach i think those who can do don't necessarily know how to teach because teaching itself is a different skill there are plenty of people who can run a great business successful business but they don't know how they're doing it. or they do know but they don't have the communication skills to unpack that so mm -hmm. where did you learn to see by the way, creating an emotional connection is what I do on my show. It, yeah. It's not going to last after this, I don't think, but it's what I <laughs> endeavor to do. I'm sure you feel it, that I'm yeah. seeing you as a human. Where right. do you develop your, your teaching skills? Because it's one thing to be able to do something. It's another thing to be able to train and coach and teach others. Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay. So my mom and my stepdad are both teachers. So I think it might be in my blood a little bit, but also I, and I've always said this because when I, you know, when people ask, how did you get into pharmaceutical sales? Well, in my, in my family, you either, you graduate from college in our generation, at least, and you go to become a pharma rep or you go to become a teacher. Like all the cousins pretty much either fell into one bucket or the other. And so um, since I grew up with a mom that said, you are never becoming a teacher because I want you to make more money than this for the amount of effort. <laughs> like, do what you can. You're smart. Go out, like get, be a doctor and be a lawyer. I'm like, I don't feel like doing either one of those, you know, like, uh. so I think, you know, and I always said, you know, there's a lot to be said for sales reps, like being in sales is a teaching role. Yes. And I learned sales in a way where it was a very consultative type of sale where I was more of a resource than I was a rep that was, you know, spewing like a two second elevator pitch and trying to sign for samples. What, what a great, easy to grasp soundbite way to put it. It's good soundbite. You're, you're a resource and not a rep. 
Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, I feel, you know, and it's just how I was taught from the beginning to be more consultative to, and I remember, it's so funny, this conversation's come up because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Cause I, I just launched a, ma- a mastermind or it's just to this week launched, launched a mastermind for sales. And so it's about, you know, taking over the sales industry, leaving all those, you know, old sales tactics behind and uh, embracing this more relationship based approach. And I was thinking, and I was like putting some of the notes out around the coursework and things and um, how I'm going to run the program. And I, re- it, it t- took me back to this moment where I learned the first sales model. And I remember the guy, his name was Kim Fellwalk, and he trained for a lot of the pharma companies up in that New Jersey area that I, that I was up for three months at training. And I remember this part where they were doing a role play around you know, with our product and he was role-playing with one of our trainers and it was a 10 minute role-play. And by like eight minutes in, they had not even mentioned our product once. And I was like, what in the hell? Like I would have mentioned our product like six minutes ago. What is taking so long? Like, why have they not, they've built up this whole call to this point. And then it's so funny because they were spending the time to build the rapport. They were spending the time asking questions, the probing questions, like aligning the needs with what, with the disease state, right? And then offering the solution at the very end and closing right away. And so now I see it so clearly, but back then I was like, this is crazy, you know, but they're teaching us the more consultative way of selling where you are not there to, you know, you're there to offer a solution for them and to help them come to the solution as opposed to impressing it on them that they need something. You know, you have to make somebody see why they would want it, why it's so valued. And to me, you do that by being a resource instead of being, you know, selling because people like people don't want to be sold to, but there's a lot of people who want to buy. That's another great one. Producer, put that in the quotes. (laughs) (laughs) I had a coach uh, who taught me. You'll never run out of people who really need what it is you have if mm-hmm. you really have a genuine solution. And that really stuck with me, really yeah. stuck with me. Just... I, I want to address something else with you, because in order to develop the way you develop, you've had to balance being super motivated and also being patient, knowing when to put the brakes on because you're so motivated and so energetic. That's not quite impatient, but in a sense, how much of, you're very patient in the sales process, but how patient are you with yourself in building your business and in executing and doing the rest of it? Yeah, you know. Do I ask great questions or what? So good, it is, it's so good. Yeah, it's like, you know me, right? I was, it was actually um, just talking to my husband this morning about our five-year-old and he was like, she's so demanding, you know, she's so demanding and we got to do something about that. And I said, well, if she was a sales rep, that would be a good quality, right? Like to be, <laughs> be you'd want That's somebody kids. who knows what it's they want. It's your job. No, it's your job to be demanding. Yeah. I said, let's not break her. How about we break down? What are the qualities instead of, because I said, she's just impatient, but sometimes impatience is good. It keeps you, it's that tenacity, right? The perseverance. So maybe we just work on the respect level that she approaches it, you know, with, and I really feel like that's, 
oh, it's just so important to give yourself the respect that you deserve. And I actually, I created, sometimes I create what I need for other people, but um, I made a, I, I published an Am- on Amazon, a gratitude. You hold that up to the oh. camera so we can see it. So this is, it's grateful AF. And it's a gratitude <laughs> journal. What's the for- AF stand for? You <laughs> know. <laughs> and so let's um so every day you have a chance to write out five things you're grateful for, five things your future self is grateful for, and then the five things that you're celebrating. So it forces you to stop what you're doing and really to think about what's going right because I want that. Yeah, you want it? Okay, I get you the link. Um, it's and and at the beginning, and it, I I add in my own NLP twist to it, where you know I want people to take a look at the like think of the things you're grateful for along with the senses. That's how I've always taught it. Like, what can you see that you're grateful for? What can you feel? What can you hear? What can you just taste? Like, what are the things that involve your senses? So it brings it more into your reality and into that energy field around you. And then also, especially when you're future pacing, what you're grateful for, and then, you know, celebrating what's already going right. Because I think all, especially if you're super motivated and you are an overachiever and you're, you know, you're demanding of yourself and tend to be impatient like me like I'm very self-aware around this like my husband calls me out on it and I'm like yeah I know so like what can I do (laughs) you know it's just you knew this getting married to me I'm just kind of like (laughs) you know it's it wasn't like surprise I'm like a type a alpha female here you know proud of it but you know you've got to be able to stop and like sometimes I think we think about those huge goals without chunking them down and looking right. at, at what are the steps along the way right. that would indicate if the money's not there and if the thousand clients aren't there and the million dollars isn't there yet, then what are the things and what is the proof that it's it's on its way? Like what's going yeah. right? Because and if it's not there, you just can't be busy for the sake of being busy. It really right. brings up uh, something we don't have time to talk about which is discernment and wisdom yeah and you really need i think if you're going to be super successful you need discernment and wisdom you need discernment and wisdom to look at your own bullshit yes but you also need discernment and wisdom to look at all the choices thrown in front of you and be able to go calculate you know this will be fun but i need to test it i had a coach teach me if you're going to run into the wall that's no sin but run into the wall and keep track of how you hit yeah (laughs) this has been amazing i could talk to you hours if 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 i had the energy i i don't this morning that book if you were to now take a breath and find yourself sending me an autograph copy i'm going to (laughs) after the show and you will instantly immediately allow yourself to do that now it's been great to have you on the show for you who are watching and listening and don't know neurolinguistic programming we're just batting about techniques back (laughs) back and forth to each other right thank you so much how do people reach you how do they want continue the conversation with you oh i love it so i have a youtube channel cassie mckenzie on youtube and i'm going to be adding a whole lot of new video content and everything there um i'm really active on linkedin 
uh, towards the back half of last year, I was like really going hard in, in Instagram, but then I discovered LinkedIn again and oh my gosh, I fell in love because there's more of a connection. You can actually build relationships with people so fast and easily. And it's like fully in my wheelhouse. So come find me on LinkedIn. I met Cassie McKenzie, the non-salesy sales coach, and I actually have a podcast that I'm launching next week. Uh, yay! I know. Come join. I, I didn't. I met. I was talking with your um with your uh, assistant about about that about being a guest on there. So um, it's called I'm it. Not Salesy. I'm yeah. There. Yay! So come join the I'm Not Salesy podcast because we're going to talk about you know how to sell without being salesy. NLP things that, you know, tools that you can use that feel aligned as well as money, money mindset and all kinds. And I have a bunch of fun guests that come on. So, um, so excited for that. And you can find me at better. You better have me on. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am for sure. All right. Thank you so much. Sooner that rather than later. Yeah. Cassie, it's been <laughs> wonderful having you on the Thank show. You. Stick around after the, the show. Cause I want to chat with you for just a few minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. This is why I do this. Have great guests like this and to have a little bit of emotional connection during my otherwise uh, horrible. No, I might All right. Thank you so much, Cassie. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411321. That's COMPEL to 411321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1. 909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.